Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives with your hosts, myself, Colton Cockrell, and Tricia Stetzel. Our goal is to bridge the generational, gender, and life experience gap in business through our unique styles of gathering information from our guests. This podcast is sponsored by Jim Butcher, who is a relationship banker with Allegiance Bank. Now let's get it started. Hello and welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Bridge the Gap. My name is Colton Cockrell. I am a certified financial fiduciary and independent financial advisor with Share McKinley Group. And as always, I have the lovely Tricia Stetzel here with me. Thank you, Colton. We couldn't do this without you. <laughs> well, obviously. I know. I know. I know. Hey, everyone. Tricia Stetzel here, owner of Results Extreme Business Solutions. And I am so excited about having a friend and business associate on the call today, Paul Miller. Paul has over 30 years of executive experience building teams and growing companies. He has served in key roles from division general manager through CEO, where his teams have accomplished over 10 times growth within a five-year period. Paul is passionate about partnering with business owners who want to increase their company value and grow their wealth through operational excellence. And the thing Paul did not include in his bio is that he too was in the military. Thank you for your service, sir. And Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tricia and Colton. I'm delighted to be here. Um, And by the way, it was an honor to serve. And um, I'm very happy to say that my son has taken up the mantle too. So thank goodness we have uh, such fine young men and women in this country that are willing to step up and make a sacrifice for the wealth of all of us. So anyway, delighted to be here with you and your listeners. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. And uh, I don't want to start a fight between you and Tricia, but just curious, what branch did you serve in? Um, I was in the Marine Corps. And so- okay. Yeah, so we consider that to be part of the Naval Service, so separate and distinct, but uh, part of the Department of the Navy. So we're uh, brothers and sisters in arms, no issue there. Okay, wow, I was trying to start some drama, but uh, never Good mind. Try, Thanks, Cole. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, we only, fight, we only fight in private. <laughs> so, Paul, Paul, let me ask you this, because, you know, you, you do something pretty interesting. You know, you, you're dealing with mergers and acquisitions. So tell me, you know, you got into coaching. So why coaching? Why mergers and acquisitions? Well, it, so that's a, a multifaceted answer, if I could um, you know, Absolutely. approach it that way. So I got into coaching because I actually had a wonderful experience. As Tricia said, my background has been in, in industry. And I had the privilege for probably um, the last 14, 15 years of my career um, to work as, as a head of an organization, so leading profit and loss organizations. Um, and at one point when I first started, it was a rather difficult um, time. I had a, taken over a company that was failing. We were operating at a loss. Um, we were on the verge of winning a major contract. Um, and that contract could have been um, either good or bad for us, right? It was either going to launch us to the next position and level of performance, or we were going to fail miserably. And one of my uh, people noticed that I was kind of struggling with the context, and he handed me a book by a gentleman named Pat Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which I read. And it, uh, I identified with the situation of you know, lack of trust in the team, lack of accountability, and really turned out to be lack of delivering of results, right? So, so that was the, the parable that, that Lencioni told in the book. 
And so I hired my first coach at that point and was just very um, pleased with the results of that engagement. And as a result, you know, as Trisha, Trisha mentioned in the intro, um, we actually took the company from uh, $65 million and a $2 million operating loss. Within three years, we were at $750 million of annual revenue at a 30% operating margin. And it was really that experience of working with a coach and working on the culture of the organization, which enabled us to achieve those results that I embodied in all of my subsequent assignments. So um, I went from there to take over a $900 million company that we grew to $1.2 billion in two years and grew several other businesses along that way. So my passion for coaching actually comes from my personal experience of having partnered with somebody to help me remove the barriers to the success that I was trying to achieve. Um, mergers and acquisitions, uh, the second part of the question. Um, working with business owners to help them achieve their objectives is something I'm very passionate about. And at the end of the day, um, there isn't a business owner that is out there who's not going to exit his business at some point, his or her business. And so everybody's on an exit strategy. It's all how they depend, depending on how they look at it. And so my passion for coaching business owners to help optimize the valuation of their company so when they do sell and exit that they have the means to live the lifestyle that they want for the next stage of their life yeah no, that's great and you shared with me a little bit earlier some statistics i'd love for you to kind of go into that as well sure so so one of the things um, when i talk to business owners um, I find it time and time again that most people don't think about the inevitable exit until it's right upon them. And so some interesting statistics, 70% of business owners that go to sell aren't ready to sell. Uh, either the valuation, the, the value of the company isn't what they expect it to be, and therefore they're not able to really exit and leave the lifestyle that they'd like. Um, a lot of times they're under duress, right? Health issues creep up on people. Uh, other life uh, incidents happen and they all of a sudden find themselves in a position where they have to exit the company's not prepared. Um, and therefore the, the value that they get out of the company isn't what they want. Of those that do go to sale, uh, less than 25% actually transact, right? So people will go to market and there won't be any buyers because the health of the company isn't what it needs to be. There's risk profiles around different performance issues. And so the buyer's not really willing to go and, and transact and close the deal. And then the, the other statistic that I find very informative of those business owners that do transact and sell, less than 5% are satisfied with the results of that sale within a year. And a, a lot of that is just based on the lack of preparation and lack of thinking ahead. So, Paul, when should someone start to think about or prepare their business to sell it? Um, it should be building the, the exit strategy, and I really don't like that term, so let's call it an option strategy, right? So an exit strategy implies you wait till the end, and then you figure out how you move on. What I encourage my clients to do is really think about preparing the business from the day that they start for an option. So ideally, you have all of the factors in place that if somebody would walk in, even if you weren't planning to sell, they walk into your office one day and offer you something 
that you never expected and you can't turn down that you could actually sell a valuable business to that person and extract it. I always encourage my clients to think about not as a seller, but look at the business that they're running as a buyer. What is the buyer put value in? Because that would really determines the price of the, uh, of the sell of the company is the buyer's perspective, not what the owner thinks it's worth. So it sounds like, oh, go ahead, Colton. No, I'm sorry. No, sorry. Sounds like what, Tricia? I was just going to say, so it it sounds like um, as I open my business, I should be planning to prepare it for the option, Paul, but it shouldn't be based on what I think it's worth. It's what the buyer thinks it's worth. So what is that? Uh, and I know we don't have a whole lot of time here, so you can't take us through all of the points, but what are the most imp- most important points of preparing my business for the buyer in mind? So the buyer is going to be looking at certain things like financial performance and predictability, right? So what's your history been? Do you have a track record of setting objectives for, let's say, revenue or profitability and then meeting those? Have those been fairly constant? That's really a big one. The other factor that buyers are gonna look at is growth potential, right? What is the market that you're in? Um, Is that market saturated? Are you, is it fragmented? Or is it really um, because of the way you've built the company and the capabilities you've put in it, do you enable growth into adjacent markets or expansion into new customers, those types of things? Um, and there are a whole lot of different factors in there also, but it's really the repeatability and the sustainability of the business that you're going to sell once you're gone. Because one of the big problems that uh, a lot of buyers will see if it's, and, and I talk in terms of a lifestyle business rather than a legacy business. So a lot of business owners are content and believe that they're successful because they can sustain the lifestyle that they're accustomed to while they're in the business. But if the owner is the primary marketing specialist, right? So he gets all, he or she gets all the customers and then they leave the the company, then the buyer is left with having to replace that skill set. So when the seller looks at it from a buyer's perspective, he should be building that sustainability and repeatability so that when he walks out the door, he doesn't take the value of the company with him, but it stays with the residual organization, the customer base, the processes, the people that remain employed under the new buyer's ownership. And so again, Trisha, this is one of those uh, podcasts that doesn't really have a generational approach because business is business, regardless how old you are. Um, but I'm going to kind of flip the script here. So we've, we're talking about selling, but what are critical things that I should look for if I decide to acquire a business? It's pretty much the same types of things, right? So what, what happens in the negotiation, let's kind of jump ahead. So you have a seller who's put his company on the market. You have a buyer who's looking at it. The buyer is going to be looking at the risk profile, right? So what ends up happening is is you go through a due diligence process. You look at the financials. You look at things like um, customer concentration, right? Do I have one or two customers that account for 25% of my revenue? That's kind of a bad thing. 
um, or do I have a well-dispersed customer base that if I lose a customer, I don't necessarily lose a high percentage of my revenue and, and it can be fairly easy, easily replaced? Am I reliant on one supplier or do I have a distributed supply base? So as a buyer, I'm going to be looking at the risk profile, right? Because I'm going to assume, even if I have a turnover and, and keep the owner there, that I'm going to have to operate that business without the owner's expertise and without the owner's presence. So is the rest of the business solid? Where are the risks that I have to address? And then I'm going to adjust the valuation or the asking price based on my assessment of the risk and my ability to really realize the, the value stream, the revenue stream that they're predicting, right? So that's, again, the predictability of the performance is gonna be really critical in my view as I go to buy a company. Another, another, another critical piece is to work with a, with a coach to help you make sure you get those values correct and make sure you're going through that process and not getting you know, taken advantage of. Yeah, exactly. And, and why I, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, why I like to work with owners early on is that, and, and I think we've all heard this, you can work in the business and that's kind of a lifestyle business, right? So I'm, I'm involved in the business on a day-to-day -day, um, level, or you can work on the business, which is really building that structure so that I can build residual value in, into the organization. And so I like to work with business owners early on and say after the first five years, if you will, that when a business has had some level of success and they're trying to reach that next level, that's the ideal time uh, for me to engage with clients because we can start then looking at the financial performance. We can look at growth potential. We can look at cash flow. We can look at the staff and the strength of the staff. We can look at staff retention, all of those things so that as the business matures, the involvement in the day-to-day -day activities of the owner actually become less. The value goes up. They're able to enjoy a lifestyle with their family that they're trying to achieve. And they're building value into that organization so that they have the option to sell at the highest value should somebody walk in the day, you know, in the door one day and say, hey, I'll pay you $10 million for this business. You're ready to walk away and move on to the next stage of your life. All right, Paul, I want to talk about sweat equity because there are so many business owners out there. And based on the numbers that you gave us a few minutes ago, uh, people are not getting out of their business what they think it's worth. And the word sweat equity, right, all of that hard work that I put into my business, it doesn't count. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. And, and that's... Um that's a key issue with people going to sell. And again, a, a significant contributor to why 70% of the companies aren't ready to sell. Um, again, when you're looking at the value of your company, you really have to look at it from a buyer standpoint. All business owners work hard. It's a tough grind. And, um, and, and certainly we all believe, because I am a business owner too, we all believe that all that hard work we put in has to be worth something. Um, the, the fact of the matter is it's the residual value that really counts. And, and one of the mistakes, and I can talk about a client that I've been working with, um, there's a confusion between um, revenue and value of the company, right? So if you make $3 million in revenue a year, the value of the company isn't tied to the revenue, it's tied to the profitability. 
and we talk in terms of either um, uh, seller's discretionary income, right? So what's the what's left over at the end of the day that a buyer could assume to take out of the business, right? So revenue will cover you know, your costs of goods sold, it'll cover all your other expenses, it'll cover some of your personal expenses, salaries and those things. But at the end of the day, the, the company is really only as valuable as that excess profit or excess cash that remains after you pay all your bills, right? And so a lot of owners get confused that because they have a $3 million revenue business, but maybe they're only taking 2%, um, out as uh, operating margin at the end of the day, that company is really valued based on multiples of that excess profit or that cash flow. And so as you're anticipating that valuation, as hard as you work, it's really the financials that are going to drive what a buyer is willing to pay for your company. Another measure is uh, earnings before income tax and depreciation. So uh, th those are the financial measures that people ought to be looking at when they're trying to anticipate what the value of the company is. Yeah, that, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. No, see, that's Paul. Whenever we have someone like you on our show, we're sitting here and I'm just like trying to just digest everything you were saying because it's a lot of good information. Uh, and what I really like, and you said this earlier, is that whenever you should start thinking about, you know, how like structuring your business to sell, it should be day one when you open your doors. I, I love that. That is really good. Now, I'm going to ask a totally off the wall question. Okay. So okay. bear with me here. All right. <laughs> now, if, if this was your last day on earth, okay. Yeah. What would be your going out meal? Uh, you can have anything, anything you want. What would be your going at your last meal or your last supper? So I'm kind of partial to, to my own cooking and I do a mean, mean brisket and I make Ooh. a mean brisket chili. So I'd, I'd probably have cornbread and brisket chili. And I think I'd be coming over to your house and, uh, and <laughs> come sending <on> you <laughs> off. <laughs> We're going to come over and celebrate Paul. <laughs> I'm oh all in. Goodness. I love that. All right, Paul. So if you're willing to answer this next question, it's a little more serious than Colton's, but which generation are you in? I'm, I'm a boomer. Okay. I'm, I'm solidly in the boomer generation. All right. That's wonderful. So do you feel like you most identify with your own generation or do you identify with a different generation? Um, I'm, I'm blessed throughout my career to have interfaced with um, multi, what I call multi-generational workforces and certainly a multi-generational family, right? So I have four children and I have two grandchildren. Um, and the, the neat thing that I learned, and we'll go back briefly to my, my time as a veteran. So I was fortunate enough to be a Marine Corps infantry officer. And, um, and that was a really interesting mix because at 22 years old, I was responsible for guys that were 32 to 35 senior staff NCOs and 17 and 18 year old kids just off the street. And so I learned very early on that there are different perspectives and different values that the different generations contribute. And it really did open my eyes to um, learning how to listen and to identify the strengths 
uh, and weaknesses of all of us and be able to combine those capabilities into a strong organization. I mentioned earlier, culture um, is one of the most critical things in business success, right? And, and my philosophy, and it's proven successful, is that organizational health trumps all else. So if you um, can create the right environment based on the right values that people can get behind and make their best contribution, the results will always follow. And so um, I love being around anybody that's willing to be open and honest and have good solid discussions around our objectives because I think we can all make a contribution to achieve those. And that's what makes you an amazing coach, Paul. Absolutely. Well, thank, you. thank you very much. All right. So in closing, Paul, if you would tell us the name of your business and how our listeners can contact you, and you will need to spell your name, please, since we're only presenting audio to our audience. Sure. Sure. So I uh, am the owner and president of XL Business Coaching. Um, I can be reached. Right? My name is Paul Miller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. I can be reached by email at Paul at the Excel coach. That's T-H-E-E-X-C-E-L coach.com. And you can also visit my website at the Excel coach.com. Um, and you can reach me by cell phone if you'd like at 713-838-6122. And I'd welcome a call or an email and uh, would look forward to chatting with you about the things that you're dealing with in your business and uh, see where that may take us. Paul, Paul thank cool. you so much for coming out. We yep. really appreciate having you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank <laughs> you very much, Paul, for being our guest. And uh, this was an excellent, excellent, excellent um, talk today and really helping all of us realize when we open our doors, we should be thinking about our options. Right? There you go. That. Yes. So this concludes this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives. Thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives. If there's a certain professional or profession that you want to hear from, leave a comment in this week's Facebook post. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Jim Butcher, a relationship banker with Allegiance Bank. Colton Cockrell with Sharon McKinley Group LLC is located at 820 South Friendswood Drive, Suite 207, Friendswood, Texas 77546, phone number 281-992-5698. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Next Financial Group, Inc. Member Finner, Civic. Sharon McKinley Group is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.